Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I am your host, Siri Vincent Pluff. I want to wish everyone who celebrates a very happy Lamas slash Lunasa. Um, this holiday always sneaks up on me, particularly because I don't really follow the Celtic Wheel of the Year at all, but also... Um, just because I feel like I've always got so much other stuff going on. But I do want to wish um, my uh, Wheel of the Year celebrating friends a very happy Lamas slash Lunasa. So things have been really busy this summer. I've been continuing to expand the apothecary. I have been teaching Radical Runes the last class for that happens next week on Monday, um, which I don't have the date for that in front of me, but that's okay because you can't sign up for it anyway. That's just how it is. Um, I am going to be taking a little bit of a break from teaching. I will probably not be teaching any individual classes until October, um, maybe the end of September. I am redoing a lot of kind of like what I'm thinking of in terms of what I want to be teaching. And I'm really having fun with the apothecary. I'm kind of going full on mad scientist with the apothecary. And you will get a little bit of a taste for that in this interview with Firelight. So things are kind of shifting and changing internally here um, at the Northern Lights witchery between uh, my reading service and uh, my apothecary. Um, I also wanted to give a huge thank you to everyone who supports me on Patreon. We have officially bumped over $500 a month, which is fantastic, and it has allowed me to expand some of my offerings there. So I am doing, and this is for all patrons, um, $1 a month level and up. I am hosting a monthly, like, witchy live stream chat, um, and that will happen... That's actually coming up on this Sunday. And then I'm also hosting a book club. And for our book club, we are reading Wild Soul Runes by Lara Valeda Vesta. And I had an interview with her at the beginning of the summer. So if you listen to that and you were intrigued and you're a patron or want to support the podcast, um, we will be discussing Wild Soul Runes on the second to last Sunday of August. So you've still got some time. Um, what else is going on? I think that's pretty much it. I don't have too many deep thoughts. Uh, this is the, um, this is a very long interview. Um, so I'll just go straight into my introduction. Firelight is the host of Inciting a Riot, which is a pagan podcast that has been going for over 10 years now. And he is coming out with his first book. The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft will be available on September 28th, 2021, wherever books are sold. And I have a special place in my heart for this book. As you know, you will 
here in the interview coming up, um, I think that it's a really important perspective that we don't get a ton of. So I, without further ado, I am just going to put it right on over to the interview. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Needfire Wellness and Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all of your folk magic needs. They are committed to offering high-quality supplies, information, and learning experiences for magic practitioners. The Needfire team believes that magic practice is an internally enriching and transformative endeavor that can look very different dependent on the practitioner. They make every effort to offer a range of knowledge and products for the practical witch, magician, or otherwise. In addition to their domestic workshops, Needfire has collaborated with Johannes Gordbeck, author of Trolldome, Spells and Methods of the Norse Folk Magic Tradition, to offer immersive travel experiences and magic workshops in Sweden starting in autumn 2021. This is a fantastic shop, and I am so glad to collaborate with them. You can use offer code HEATHENJOURNEYPODDEN to get 10% off in their online apothecary. Get yourself a blend of Swedish incense, a new tarot deck, a hagstone, some herbs, and so much more. Head on over to needfirewellness.com to uh, get your supplies today. And as always, make good magic. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I hope I'm I hope I'm doing interviews right. Hi. You are. Yes, <laughs> please hold up and pose with your book even more because it's beautiful. I love it. Um yes, so uh welcome to the podcast. You're kind of a different guest from the folks that I normally have on here. Um but this is not just a heathenry podcast. This is also a witchcraft podcast. So um, I knew that your book was coming out and I have listened to your podcast on and off. And I knew that um, it would be an interesting book, particularly for beginners. Um, so let's just kind of get started there. What inspired you to write this particular book at this time? Well, Siri, I... I had always said that if I were to ever write a book, I would want to write the Un-101 book. I would want to take your typical 101 book with its typical 101 chapters. We've all read them. They're like candy. Um, and I would want to sort of turn them on their head. You know, if you want to talk color correspondences, okay, well, let's talk about the science of color theory. If you want to talk about, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, because I hadn't really seen that out there. What I had, what I've always seen is what we've all seen, you know, just a, a, a lot of the same stuff with a new author's sort of flavor on it. And I, I said, well, if I'm going to write it, I'm going to write it from my perspective. And my perspective is one that is very inclusive and supportive of science. And I know that we hear that a lot from other creators, but 
then I don't see it typically followed up with, <laughs> with content that is incorporating science and things like that. So, um, so that's what I wanted my book to be. I said, if I was ever going to write something, it, it was going to be something quite different. So that's, that's how this came to be. Fantastic. And I actually, I really love that about your book um, and want to talk more about science as we get into this <laughs> podcast, because I too love science. Um, so yeah, I think that um, your book is really filling a hole um, that we don't really have in publishing right now, um, or at least not in publishing, but you know, like it's filling a hole in the occult book section. Let's just put it that way. Um, so <laughs> let's let's talk about the title, The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft. Where did that yes. come from? Uh, well, the original title, um, I had played around with the word dabbling in the title from the very beginning, because uh, I think that we have two speeds when it comes to witchy books. And it's either, um, you know, books for people that are sort of already committed to the idea of witchcraft and they are, they have decided to learn and they are, they're here. And so, you know, we've got the 101 style books. And then the only other books we have for those, for people are really advanced niche <laughs> books. And, you know, it's like you, you go from freshman in high school to senior in college, and there's not a lot of middle ground. Um, so while my book is a beginner book, I, I did want to sort of reorient who the target audience would be for this particular book. So there is a narrative when it comes to our community, and it's that we all came from Christianity, and we've got a, all got a chip on our shoulders when it comes to uh, the way that we approach uh, paganism, the way that we approach uh, magical scholarship and education, and the way that we talk about those kinds of things. And the narrative is that we all came from Christianity, and Christianity is the big bad, and it's, it's us versus the Christians. And that doesn't hold up under scrutiny when you look at statistics about how the actual breakdown of uh, our country and the world looks. Um, yeah, sure, the largest religious group in the United States is still technically all of the various flavors of Christianity, though um, every time they take those statistics, that number gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The second largest religious group in the United States are actually people that consider themselves agnostic, atheist, or spiritual but not religious. And the spiritual but not religious group actually makes up the largest portion of that second group. And what I love when you start diving into statistics and you're asking people, you know, sort of why they choose the labels for themselves that they choose, people generally respond that they still want some kind of spirituality, but they want a spirituality that they want a spiritual path that is reflective of the kinds of conversations that they're having in their daily life. They want a spirituality that is 
inclusive of uh, discussions of racial equity, of uh, economic insecurity, food scarcity. Um, they want a spiritual conversation that is inclusive of uh, gender discussions and uh, inclusive of, you know, sort of all of the various colors of our uh, rainbow mafia, et cetera, et cetera. They want those included and people leave religions, generally speaking, because lately they like the idea of being a spiritual person, but they don't like the politics of their religious group. So there, we have a lot of dabblers out there. We have a lot of people that want to be spiritual, that are looking for spirituality, um, but are very uh, socially conscious. They're very uh, scientifically minded. They are, you know, they're, they're not dumb folks. They're not just here for, um, you know, just another uh, conversation about, you know, I want to light a candle on a Friday night and do a, do a spell and then that be it. They want more, you know, people say, okay, if I'm going to come to your, you know, if I'm going to learn the thing, I want it to be more than just, than just the magic. I need it to be a culture. I need it to be socially aware. I need it to be, um, you know, broader. And I said, well, that's my whole bag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like my whole thing. So, you know, I, I wanted the book to appeal to dabblers, to people that, um, you know, this, this new burgeoning, very active, very passionate group of people that want to be spiritual, that want to go out and seek spirituality of some kind. Um, but they don't want to have to feel like they have to dumb themselves down to do it or that they have to find a way to fit their uh, social consciousness, their scientific mind, their skepticism, their, you know, whatever, all of that. They have to find a way to fit it. They have to read between the lines. I'm like, no, no, there's no reading between the lines with my book. The, the subtext is text. <laughs> we're here. We're, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're here. We're skeptics and it's, it's fine. Yes. And I really appreciate that about your book, actually. And I love that you, um, kind of bring up this point because it's actually, uh, been kind of a chip on my shoulder a little bit of people, you know, always like assuming that people come from Christianity or, you know, that people are renouncing Christianity and being mm -hmm. becoming pagan or witches, um, <clears throat> particularly because as I go further down my own path and, you know, researching uh, Nordic magic, um, a lot of heathens ignore existing Nordic magic because it's Christian, right? So like the troll dome that has survived the conversion to Christianity um, is often will use names like Jesus or Mary or whatever in this spell work. And that doesn't sit right with me, right? You know, like if we're interested in like really getting into our roots, we have to understand the contemporary context as well as the ancient context. I think that there's nothing to say that a spell from the 1800s is less effective or, um, you know, less important for us to evaluate than, you know, something from pre-Christian times. Anyway, soapbox. Yes. Well, but um, on, no, I, mean, I think that's a fair point. But on that point, there's a lot of people that simply want to say uh, something like, you know, I'm going to create a version of, of this type of magic that then strips the Catholicism out of it or it strips the Christian roots out of it, whatever. And I'm like, well, then you're not doing that. 
you know, then you're right. not doing, you're not doing that particular kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay if you want to, I guess, you know, adapt and modernize and make something your own or whatever, but pretending like it wasn't there to begin with, to remove the context, to remove the history ignores why we do things the way that we do things. And I think that it's at least important if you're going to go out on your own, if you're going to do things your own way, uh, if you're going to tweak things and, and make it your own, that's great. That's cool. That's fine. Um, but I do think that you at least need to acknowledge how we got here, why we got here, why things look the way they look, um, so that you at least have that context and understanding and appreciation before you go off and do things on your own. Because you might realize, mm, you know, I'm having to remove 85% of this. Exactly. <laughs> just to get to 15% that I like. I'm like, mm, maybe this just wasn't for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Um, you're, you just articulated that very well. Like you s took it out of my brain. Um, and I think another thing that's important to talk about with um, atheism and agnosticism and the uh, spiritual but not religious crowd um, is just they are very active. You know, atheism does not mean that you are not invested in learning. Um, so I also, um, this is a little personal for me, my spouse is an atheist. So like we have a very interesting marriage because I'm clearly a professional spiritual person and my spouse is an atheist and we do magic together sometimes. And it's just like, oh yes, this is great. Well, but like we have a lot, we have a lot of atheist and agnostic folks in our community that have been real quiet for a real long time because their voices have not been welcome. And, you know, like Chao Wen Ku, who has like, you know, huge following on, on various social media platforms and a, a big uh, YouTube following describes herself as an atheist witch and says, you know, do I believe in certain deities? I don't know. When I'm in circle, do I believe in them? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I put that on when I'm in circle and it makes sense in circle. When I'm away from that, it gets a little bit more difficult for me to believe, but I'm on this weird spectrum of belief with stuff. And I don't know how to describe that right now. The word atheist, which fits, but maybe that'll change in the future. And I'm like, you know what? If we would just give people like that space to get yes. messy and figure things out for themselves and be able to have conversations without saying, well, then you're doing it wrong. I hate to tell people, but we are all making this up <laughs> and telling people that they're not making it up in the right way is just, has always been bonkers bizarre to me. It's just always been bonkers bizarre to me. I'm like, our whole everything of everything that we do has been made up by like some guy in the last hundred years. And I'm like, you got to get a whole lot less precious about it. I really, <laughs> you just need I to. I mean, <laughs> yes, so true. And like, I think it's so interesting too. So I was an atheist witch for many years until I had a very like deity focused experience in my personal spirituality that I was like, oh, I can't really call myself an atheist anymore because I'm like literally working with Odin. So like, you know, we have a chill relationship now. So mm -hmm. I, like, I'm not an atheist in the same way, but I think that it's so important to make spaces for that. So in my witchcraft immersion uh, year long course, I actually, you know, have a, a tag on there that says like atheist welcome 
you know, like atheist witches welcome. You do not need to be uh, associated with a God or want to follow any particular deity to take this course because it's, a, it's, I'm teaching methods, right? I'm teaching the craft and you don't need to believe in a specific God to learn from me. That's just how it is. Yeah, I had a, a bit of an existential crisis around 2015, 2016. I had a lot of problems with death and the afterlife and what does it all mean and the temporary nature of existence and, you know, the caring nature of a divine being and all of that kind of stuff and all the stuff that comes out of a, an existential crisis. And I would say that I was definitely a believer in something before then, and I've crawled my way back to belief now. What my belief looks like now and what it looked like then are, are different um, but they are no less sacred. They are both no less sacred. Uh, and I do have belief and I do have reference for uh, the divine and I do have, you know, relationships with uh, beings, deities, etc. But they look different now. And I had to sort of go away a little bit and take some steps back. And I didn't feel right doing podcasting for quite a long time because I was like, how am I going to get up here and talk if like, like nobody wants to hear that, you know, you want right. your expert and I say this kind of in the book a little bit, but like you want your expert on witchcraft, which I've never tried to set myself up as, as an expert on witchcraft. I started the podcast because it seems like it was like a verbal blog, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and suddenly it's taken on a new meaning, but um you know, oh, you want your expert on witchcraft to like talk about how they have like tea on Friday with like the dead girl that, died, you know, some, or their dead aunt or something like that. You, you know, you want your expert on witchcraft to be super, super witch. And that's how we set ourselves up. And I'm like, I'm not. And so I don't, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That is actually a great segue. I, um, as much as you're comfortable talking about this, I know that it's very personal, but if you wanted to just talk about your, um, you know, personal practice and what that kind of looks like, I'd, I'd love to hear just because sure. you, don't, you don't go into it as much in the book. I don't. I don't. Um, and that was very pointed because I wanted my book to be, like I said, I, I wanted my book to be a very different kind of book in a lot of ways. And one of the ways I wanted it to be different is I wanted to, I, I, I talk about the book in, in the sense of, I, I think of it like the fool card in the tarot. Um, and I say that it's, it's not the lessons that you need to learn. This is not an introductory book to paganism. This is not how to do witchcraft 101. This is how to think about spirituality. This is how to learn. This is, this is lessons that you need to know. These are critical thinking skills that you need to possess before you go read those 10 intro books that you're going to go read, you know, before you do that, because you need to be able to pick out when somebody is maybe fudging this particular chapter a little bit, or maybe they're, uh, you know, you're watching some YouTube videos and you can pick out some keywords now and say, hmm, what is that claim? What's the implied claim here? What is somebody saying that they can do? What is somebody saying that they're trying to sell you on? So that's what the book is. And if I injected my own uh, spirituality, I felt like instead of teaching somebody how to ask good questions, I would be uh, providing a bunch of answers. And I didn't want to do that. Um, because I, one, I don't think I have the answers. Um, I think I asked some pretty good questions. <laughs> and, I, and I'm developing answers to my questions, and they, they change uh, from time to time. Um, but 
you know, I, I, uh, I, I think that I, I want to arm my reader with the, that, you know, that critical thinking skill. But as far as my own practice goes, um, it's pretty simple. I, I have always been somebody that uh, valued, you know, I joked on an Instagram live months ago that if, if I ever had a, uh, a problem with something or, you know, gosh, I need a prosperity boost or something like that. You know, I might make soup about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I I have a very simple practice where I use uh, what's around me. I use the resources around me. Um, I connect to the spirits of place, uh, to the spirits of of my land, the gods of my understanding. Um, And I have a very simple practice. I tend to relate to the divine most in the form of like, animals mostly because I, I I mean, I guess like archetypes almost, uh, you know, like I'll keep uh, icons of like fox or pig or frog or something like that on my altar. But I also have some deities that I work with as well. Um, But again, those are, it's just really simple practice. I wish very often that I were the witch that goes into his dark room with all of his curtains and his walls lined with candles and his ancient book and I have one of those big pretty very expensive books you know the handmade like really pretty huge book and oh god I don't use it I know right I use use the notes app on my phone and I print stuff out (laughs) and I've got my big three ring binder and that's what I use most often like when my friends and I get together for big ritual, sure, we do the big candles on the wall thing and all that stuff. And we all get together and we write down our ritual, you know, like each each of us, I typically write it, but, um, you know, we'll all go around and like hand write what we did in the big book. And like, you know, we fill it up that way and like put all of the recipe, you know, all of the recipes for the food that we had and that's all in there. So it's like, okay, well, here's what we did for Salon, you know, six years ago. It's really pretty and I illustrate it and it's, it's cute and stuff like that. But I don't, oh God, I wish, I wish I was the person that was like, oh, let me flip. Oh, I want to flip. I love a flip and I want a big thunk. I want to thunk the book down and I want to flip through it. And I want to be like, oh, here is my sleep spell. Here is how to do the sleep spell. And yes. Oh gosh. It's, that's not me. It tends to not be me. I feel like as I get older um, and more comfortable in my craft, I'm like, well, can I do it by just lighting a candle? If so, I'm all over it. You know, like. I mean, there was that meme that went around a hundred billion years ago that was like the baby witch, you know, it's like three panels and it's like, it's a witch trying to get a ghost to leave their house. And like the baby witch is like, you know, they've got their bell, their book, their candle, and they're chanting in Latin for five hours and they're looking up how to do it on YouTube. And it's all very serious. And then like the witch five years down the road is like lighting a candle and sprinkling salt and, saying the thing and like can you just get out of here now and then like folks like us that have been doing this for 100 million years are just like grabbing pots and pans and saying get the fuck out jim i've got to go to work and it that's just as effective maybe more so right yes i feel like um... and so that that that's me i'm just like what's going to work? What do I need to cleanse my space? Could I do this? Do I know how to do the long involved cleansing rituals? Yes. 
I've read my 25 books, my hundred and, you know, I've read my dozens and dozens and dozens of witchy books. I know how to do the cleansing rituals. Do you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to crack my windows and I'm going to let fresh air into my house and I'm going to let that cleanse my space. And it's going to take me 30 seconds and I'm going to be done. Yes. So in an earlier episode of the podcast, I had Johannes uh, Gordbeck on, who's the... excuse me, who's the author of Trolldom. And so we were talking about um, all of these really complicated old spells, right? Where you have to like sit in a ditch for three days and, you know, like you can't talk to anybody that you see. Like that is an actual spell in Trolldom, right? Um, And he was like, okay, well, if you're trying to adapt it, like think about the amount of time and energy and resources that that person is putting in to... um, their work, right? If you're taking three days to go sit in a ditch, you know, that means that this is kind of a big deal to you. Mm -hmm. So how do you in the contemporary show that this is a big deal to you? Right. And so like, there are a lot of ways, I think it's more the spirit of things. The older I get, the more I'm like, okay, what's the spirit of this? And what, what matters to me? Personally, and also what's fun? Like, I'm I'm only going to do a big ritual if it's fun. (laughs) <laughs> and and am I and am I sitting in silence because then when I finally do speak, those words need to have a certain weight and gravity to it, or am I sitting in silence because I'm sacrificing time? And if I'm sacrificing time, could I then sacrifice something else that's very important to me? But maybe because it's 2021, I don't have three days to go sit in a ditch. Exactly. So you know, maybe I make a a larger donation to a charity than maybe I'm financially comfortable to make or something like that. Maybe if I would be comfortable with $10, maybe I donate $100 and then I kind of have to feel a little insecure for a little while. Um, You know, that kind of thing. Maybe, you know, that's how people can start thinking of it is what is the why behind this what? And then how can I adapt that to living in a modern world? Yeah, exactly. So I want to go in and talk a lot more about um, the skepticism and discernment that you uh, talk about in the book, because I think it's really, really important. So I am actually in the process of rewriting my year-long witchcraft course because I, I want students to have a much firmer grasp on discernment and skepticism and stuff like that before they even start the year-long practice. Um, so it's very near and dear to my heart. So let's talk about that. Skepticism, discernment. How do you develop these skills? <laughs> well, you know, I think that I think that when you read a lot of the witchy books out there, no shade, because I get why they're written the way that they are, um, because people do come to us wanting answers to questions. And they don't want a book that says, hmm. Thank you, welcome in. Uh, Thanks for your question, not gonna answer it. Instead, I'm gonna teach you how to ask a better question than go find the answer for yourself. That's not gonna, that's not, (laughs) that's not what people want. That's the book I wrote, but that's not what people wanna read. (laughs) They wanna open the book and say, why do I have weird dreams? And they wanna go to the dream chapter and find out why they have weird dreams. My issue is this. If we only ever provide a book, uh, provide books or provide information as though the answers are foregone conclusions, as though the answers are just uh, undebatable, set in stone, firm 
uh, information. One, it makes any questioning of that information feel like an attack on that information. And very often that's how people have perceived my podcast uh, is, is attacking certain kinds of information or attacking things because I say, well, why do we do it this way? And should we do it this way? And what is the reason for that? Instead, I typically think, I mean, I grew up a, a speech and debate gay. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> uh, well, and it's probably why you appreciate it because I, I think if we, if we poke at arguments, if we poke at information and we debate both sides and we try to sort of weasel our way into it a little bit, we can make the argument stronger for it. Or we can maybe realize that this argument wasn't as strong as we've made it out to be for 30 years. And maybe 30 years is enough time. Maybe it's enough time. Maybe it's plenty of time. And maybe we do something different now. Um, but we won't know that unless we ask some of those questions. So what is discernment? Discernment is saying, uh, okay, um, one of the earliest lessons that so many of us learn is don't touch the hot stove. But most of us didn't learn don't touch the hot stove because our mom said don't touch the hot stove. Most of us learned don't touch the hot stove because mom said don't touch the hot stove. And we did it anyways. Right. <laughs> I remember distinctly, um, my mother was cutting up sweet potatoes. Uh, and I was in kindergarten and I wanted to cut sweet potatoes with mom. And she's like, no, it's, it's a little dangerous. You know, there's a knife and you're five. So <laughs> no. Um, and I was like, but I want to cut sweet potatoes. And I threw a freaking fit because I wanted to cut sweet potatoes because my mother was making some dish that probably tasted terrible. Uh, and so she finally relented because I am very persuasive. <laughs> and I'm a very bratty child. And uh, she's like, fine, but I'm going to show you how to do it. I take one swipe with the paring knife at the potato and I very nearly cut my thumb off. One. I take one swipe and I very nearly cut my thumb off. I had this giant bandage on my thumb for like ever, like this giant hunk of my thumb was just like hanging off oh and like, she's freaking out and I'm freaking out. And luckily, you know, my dad was there and could dress it and stuff, but like, yeah. So discernment is when you get a little older, you say things like, okay, why can't I cut the sweet potato? Well, because you haven't cut sweet potatoes before. Um, and there's some lessons that you need to learn before maybe you take your, your hand at sweet potatoes, uh, because otherwise you're going to cut your thumb off. So let's talk about knives. Let's talk about sharpness. Let's talk about technique for how to hold a knife. Let, maybe let's practice on some smaller, safer things, et cetera, et cetera. Is there another way of cutting this potato that maybe makes it safer for you right now? And then you can work your way up to it. So discernment is simply just asking, 
the why behind the what. The what is the cutting of the sweet potato. The why is why do you hold your hand that way? Why do you use, you know, this particular kind of knife to do it? Why aren't you using a giant butcher knife or something like that to cut the sweet potatoes? And when we ask why behind the what, um, you know, why do we do it this way? It's not because we're trying to tear down the technique. It's not because we're trying to say, you know, peeling sweet potatoes is a bad thing. It's because we want to know are, how do I do it correctly? Are we doing it the right way? Is this the best way to do it? Are there other ways of doing this um, that are equally as valid? That kind of thing. So you take that little bit of logic and you blow it up to something like, uh, let's talk about ghosts. Okay, so we're talking about ghosts and there are a hundred billion Oh my freaking goodness gracious. There are a hundred billion people out there that are trying very, very hard to be those plumbers that did the ghost hunters. And the reason that the plumbers that did the ghost hunters worked is because they said, hi, we're not ghost hunters, we're plumbers. And we're here to tell you that so often your pipes that are knocking around at night are actually your ghosts. You think those are ghosts, but they're actually your plumber, your, your pipes. Then you watch the show and it gets really sensationalized and suddenly they're like, you know, oh, EVP, EVP, everything is talking to you and yada, yada. But uh, ghost hunting is a really good example because I talk about uh, sort of like spiritual entertainers in the book, people who get these TV shows and stuff. And then you have to sort of portray a version of spiritual investigation in which one, you always get results, um, always. <laughs> and two, you have ever increasingly um, scientific looking uh, scientifical, I think was a, a word that I saw recently, scientifical uh, doodads and what's-its and things that allegedly prove that a ghost was there or some kind of spiritual entity. And very often, um, you know, those tools are, are simply presented as, oh, here is uh, an EMF meter. This is going to tell us whether or not a ghost was here. Well, why does it tell you whether a ghost was there? Well, because ghosts give off a particular magnetic electromagnetic field, and this is an electromagnetic field detector. So if a ghost is here, we can detect it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that, okay. That sounds sciencey. That sounds, that's, I've asked why. You told me why. I guess I can continue on and ask zero other questions. <laughs> or maybe you, you at this point in your life are beyond sweet potatoes and knives and you've learned to dig a little bit deeper and you say, okay, a ghost is giving off an electromagnetic field. And this little box is going to measure that magnetic field. Why does it limit itself to only ghost fields? Because you all have lots and lots and lots of electric camera equipment and phones and lights and other things uh, that, that also gives off electromagnetic fields. And that thing seems to go off when it goes around the camera. So why, why, is, it just, why is it just the ghosts? Is it just the ghost that it's picking up or is it maybe also your flashlight? And then just get lots of questions about that. Um, and the other thing is, you know, okay, so let's move it away from your tools. Why are you ghost hunting at 2am and you can't see anything? Oh my God, all of the claims that you have been making 
um, are, are all the claims that you're reporting at the beginning of your episode are from like, you know, my little girl was playing after school. Okay, well, after school is not 2 a.m. in the morning. After school is like at four o'clock in the afternoon. You can see your backyard at four o'clock in the afternoon. So asking why is simply just trying to make sure that the information that we are receiving, uh, acknowledging, processing, and then giving to other people, then retelling that information, you know, teaching the rest of our community um, is the best information, is the best way of learning something, is the best way of doing something. And if it isn't, maybe we find an alternative. Maybe a five-year-old doesn't need a very sharp paring knife and, you know, free, free form to slice the, the sweet potato. Maybe there's a different way to slice a sweet potato that's a slightly safer way. Maybe it's just changing the way the hand position is. Maybe it's just a little bit of, you know, maybe we change the knife on this one. Or maybe we just tell this, maybe, maybe, maybe the five-year-old just doesn't do it this time. Maybe they help in some other way. So I think it's important because we have a lot of what's out there. And for some reason, our community by and large takes why as an affront. And the dabbler, the folks that are coming into our community in larger and larger numbers in recent years are telling us statistically that, they, that they're gonna be asking a lot of whys and they would like to um, not feel rejected for asking why, for maybe pushing back a little bit if they feel like the answers that they're getting are ahistorical or anti-scientific or anti-intellectual. And so that is why I based so much of the book on sort of critical thinking and deep dives into the why behind the what. Yes. And I think that that's so important, particularly for beginners. Um, another thing that I think about a lot is discernment in terms of our spiritual, like our personal gnosis and our personal spiritual, like activity and behavior. So like, um, I tell the story and people are always like, what Siri, how is this what you thought? Um, but the first time I spoke with Odin, right? Um, I get in circle because at this time I'm kind of a solitary Wiccan practitioner. I get in circle and I'm like, I want to talk to a deity. I want to talk to a goddess who is going to be my goddess that will lead me. And it wasn't a goddess that showed up. It was in fact Odin. And, you know, like in my brain, like it was a very clear picture of the the wide brimmed hat that was pulled low over the eye that was missing and the, the big beard and kind of Gandalf figure type. And at the time I was just like, nah, you're not Odin. <laughs> <laughs> you're a spirit that calls himself Odin, but I'll play. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people are like, wow, how would you, that's so clear. Like, how would you even doubt that? And Part of it is I have a lot of experience with spirits and spirits lie sometimes. Um, yeah. And also because I think that I need more than one meeting with someone or something to know that I can trust them or know, you know, like what that is. Um, I mean, and that's like how, how many, how many times would you need to meet somebody before you're like, yeah, you can live with me. Exactly. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, sure. Move in. Oh, you want to share my bed? That's fine. Sure. Fine. Right. Good. <laughs> exactly. Good. That's, 
that's how I approach deities. It's like, you yeah. know, they're powerful beings that you need to get to know and you kind of need to corroborate your experiences and stuff with them. Um, and I yeah, think- A lot of times I hear people like, uh, like they have one experience and then they're like, okay, nope, this is it. This is my deity. I saw a cat yesterday. So Freya's my deity forever, forever. And I'm like, my understanding of that is that it's a two-way street. There's an interview process. There's a courtship. You're getting to know me. I'm getting to know you. You're going to test me. I'm going to test you. We're going to ask each other questions. And if at any point we don't like the answers, we're just going to part ourselves in ways. And that's going to be that. And that's fine. And that's the way I do. Yes. That is exact. That is exactly how my patronage with Odin like happened. Mm-hmm. Right. It happened over the course of several years. Because I, you know, like the first time, like I worked with him or he came into that circle, I was like, "Mm, nah, Um, (laughs) but then like kept showing up. Right. And so I think too, that um, one of my guides for discernment that I teach my students is like, okay, like if this is a spiritual experience that you have had once and you have the urge to change everything in your life to support it, maybe don't, you know, (laughs) Like maybe try to, if not replicate that experience, at least, you know, like go in and see like how this is really happening and, you know, why you want to uh, work with this particular being. Um, And I also think that honestly, like discernment can help you so much in terms of figuring out who you want to learn from. Mm -hmm. um, If you want to learn from anyone, because Mm -hmm. if you have a strong personal practice and you are going to a teacher, um, you don't want to just replicate everything that the teacher does because that is, uh, that can get really culty real fast. And you also need to vet your teachers. Yes. I mean, you know, I go into the book quite a bit. There's a whole chapter on it on like how to spot a fraud. Is the person in front of you a legitimate teacher who is here in good faith? Or are they trying to start a cult? (laughs) Exactly. So actually, this is really interesting because when I was initiated Wiccan as like a teenager. um, Weren't we all? (laughs) Right? (laughs) But like, no, seriously, like initiated by a high priestess, high priest, like into a coven. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They like in in the kind of interview process, and it was a terrible coven, actually. Like there, I'm going to do a whole. What's their name? What's their address? Let's name names. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't even know if they're still like around and operating, um, but I'm going to do a podcast episode on that it was later. The coven of the Gummy Bear, and yes. they were the sour ones. They were at 903 Taylor <laughs> Street in Wisconsin. <laughs> no, but um, one of the very good things that they did before I was initiated was they gave me like a little article about how to spot a cult. Particularly because, yeah, and particularly because the um, high priestess had had some instances, um, you know, she was in her, uh, I think, late 40s, early 50s at the time. Um, And so she had lived through satanic panic and she had, um, you know, lost jobs and, uh, you know, been seriously discriminated against because of being a Wiccan high priestess. And uh, um, so she was like, hi, you were a teenager. You were going to take this home to your parents. Yeah. 
so that they are aware. That's that's good. That's good. It was really good. And it was like, okay, yeah. So now everybody is aware that I am not joining a cult because they are not asking, (laughs) you know, like these certain things from me. And so that is so important. And I wish that more people in our community talked about that. Again, for some reason, um, when we start asking some of the, I mean, there are uncomfortable topics that people seem very comfortable having. Uh, you know, we're like right now we're doing defend a cult books, which is great. I, I want I want people to to read and support buying and selling occult books. I also want to make sure that we're asking tougher questions of publishers and uh, talking about book contracts and talking about the business of publishing and maybe asking whether or not it's it's a supportive model for both the author and the community that that these publishers are serving. And for some reason, when we ask those questions, that's really bad. (laughs) People get really mad suddenly when you're like, wait, no, you can't ask that of a public, they're the publisher. Should they be? Are they, I mean, are they the best ones? Are, I mean, can't we make them better? I can't, we can make them, but we can make everybody better. Critique should make us better. And if you can't be critiqued, that I feel like is a warning sign. Oh, absolutely. And that was like one of the like, that was like point number like one or two on this little sheet that I got that was like how to spot a cult is if you cannot critique the leader. if If they can't take criticism and they get very defensive when you levy criticism, that's a war. That's scary. That's scary yeah. to me. I'm like, I, I'm not here for you. I'm sorry. I think I'm, I'm I don't know. I don't know that we're on the same journey. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. So I so appreciate that. And actually I'm probably going to recommend that my students read your book. Um, if I had students, I would recommend they listen to your podcast, but I don't. So I'm, I get, I let my dog listen to your podcast though. Oh, I'm very glad that I'm teaching your dog. Yeah. Yeah, Eggsy is yeah. really thrilled. Good. Kika, Good. D- Kika doesn't care, but Eggsy's thrilled. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. So, um, yeah, but I specifically, I, I say that just because I think that um, it is so important to teach skills like discernment and so important to get people in the mode of asking why. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a teacher, I want to teach my students to ask why. Like, okay, mm-hmm. like, why is lavender calming? Oh my God, I'm so horny for this topic. Oh my God, I'm so horny for this. One of my favorite things is picking apart correspondences because I'm like, we don't ask enough questions about where those came from. Oh my fucking God. we We don't ask enough questions about that. We just open the book and we sit. So here's my problem with correspondences. Generally speaking, here's how this works. Now, when you say this is how this works, everybody's like, oh no, people don't do that because they want to keep selling the things that they're selling and, and all of that and, and not have that pipeline interrupted. But here is how this actually works. I know because I've been this dumb idiot witch who was like, I need, uh, you know, I'm sad and I want to not feel sad anymore. Let me find some let me, I'm going to do a joy spell. Let's just do something really, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do a spell to improve my mood and give myself joy or confidence or something like that. So I'm going to go 
to all the books. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to my. I'm gonna go to my crystal book, and I'm gonna go to the index. I'm not gonna read any of the first ten chapters. I'm gonna go to the index. I'm gonna go to joy. I'm gonna see what stone I have. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I'm gonna go to the herb book, and I'm gonna open the index. I'm not gonna read any of the first ten. I'm gonna go to the index. I'm going to go to joy and I'm going to see what herbs I can get. And I'm going to stick all that together. I'm going to do witchcraft about it. Right. And the problem is sometimes that witchcraft looks like sticking it all in a pot and letting it steep for a day and then drinking it or something or bathing with it. And can I tell you that... If we don't put the why behind the what, sometimes your pyrite develops sulfuric acid from being in water. Sometimes that herb isn't something you should be putting on your skin. Sometimes that essential, oh, you know what? I have cinnamon essential oil. Boy, howdy, should you not touch that on your skin? Don't do that. Right? Don't do that. So actually my like criticism of correspondences, it's so funny that you mentioned cinnamon oil. I'm allergic to cinnamon. Ooh. And uh, so it's Can you in, do the like, fake cinnamon? Nope. That's sold. Oh, you can't? Yeah. It's what's the what's the what's the part of cinnamon that you're allergic to? I'm not actually sure, there's... but when I when I was a child, I got cinnamon all over my hands. We were doing this like stupid Christmas ornament making thing. Ooh. Um I so I got like raw cinnamon just like all up and down my arms and I broke out in hives oh my gosh for like a day and so I was just like I'm not putting that in my body and now I'd even noticed like before that happened that when my mom baked like snickerdoodles or like a a cookie with a lot of cinnamon in it I would get a headache because of the cinnamon like in the air oh my gosh Um, and could you eat it could you ingest it just fine it was it a a dermatological was it you know contact dermatitis or something so I have occasionally had Sorry everybody, we're we're playing we're playing WebMD with right? with cinnamon now. Sorry. Yes. This is what this this is what this podcast is. <laughs> yes. So I have actually gone into um very slight anaphylactic shock from eating like a cinnamon uh, bun. No. Yeah. That's so sad. So yeah, oh, and no. cinnamon is in fucking everything it's in a lot of stuff yeah especially towards the holidays and it's in so much witchcraft it is a lot of witchcraft so i've had to over the years just be like okay well you know this like whatever the fuck like um prosperity spell is telling me that i need to use cinnamon but i'm gonna fucking die so i'm not (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't use that right maybe i don't use that yeah. And, but it also comes across with stuff like, so another thing that I, um, you know, tell my students, I actually, I give my students a DIY correspondences worksheet at the beginning of every year, which is just like, okay, what do you associate with happiness? What do you associate with death? What do you, what smells, tastes, like plants, etc. What is your actual relationship to these things? And then you can begin to like build your own magic. And um, because, you know, another thing, like I had a student once who, um, so everybody says lavender is really calming. 
I had a student once who had an abusive mother who used lavender for every perfume or scent or whatever around the home. Guess what wasn't a calming substance for my student? Probably not lavender. Yeah, no. So, you know, you can't just like assume that these things are going to work for everyone and you have to come up with your own correspondences. And yet in some cultures, in some periods, lavender has also been for passion and sex. And it was the it was the perfume anointed by prostitutes. And it's like, okay, so it's either the thing that I need to calm down for a chill day or it's the thing that makes me horny. And those feel like two very diametrically opposed things because I don't know that I want to be calm and horny. That's not, you know, just like a gentle- I'm just going to be like very chill. Just a very chill sex. Just a very chill sex. And it's not- Lazy. Just a lazy sex. I'm doing a lazy, that's your episode title. Firelight and the lazy sex. People will be like, ooh. Yes, this is definitely, this is definitely getting like an explicit content yes. because I have dropped several F-bombs, but I'm not <laughs> editing them out. Fuck that. Uh, <laughs> but that's the so, thing is that like, there's a lot of stuff that's in the correspondence books that probably by and large you're okay with. But every now and then it's probably good if we, put the why behind the what on some of these. And I go into one of those in the book. Uh, well, I go into yes. several, but I talk about like lipidolite in the book. Lipidolite is one of my favorite examples of this because when I learned this fact like 10 years ago, I was so angry. <laughs> this wasn't in books. I was so angry. Um, so there's this stone called lipidolite. It's a crystal. Um, but a crystal isn't just like lipidolite is not on, you know, the chart of elements, the periodic table of elements. So obviously it's a composite of other things. Well, one of the big things about lipidolite, when you look it up in all the witchy books, is that in addition to some very wild medical claims made by some of these books, uh, some one of them says it like alleviates Alzheimer's and another says it does. Yeah, I know. Um, another is like, I don't know, it's, it's some wild stuff. I, I did enjoy how apparently lipidolite alters the pathways of tectonic plates or something like that. That was wild. That was crazy. That was fun. That's in Melody's, uh, that's in Melody's book. That's a good one. Um, anyways, I digress. Most of them, uh, say lipidolite is a calming stone and it's associated with calming and stress reduction and, uh, helps with depression. There's probably a reason for that. And they all, all of them left that reason out of their descriptions. And it's because lipidolite, when it was discovered in the mid to late 1800s, ended up being the chief mineral source for the metal uh, lithium. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's the most abundant mineral source for lithium on the planet. And it's where we get the lithium from. Now, you have to break lipidolite down with like acid and crushing and stuff usually to get the lithium out. But lipidolite actually contains a lot of things like rubidium and cesium. I don't know if you ever watched like a lot of like uh, science or magic trick videos where like they make exploding fire. You know, mm -hmm. you throw something onto water. Usually they'll do, you take like magnesium and throw, throw it on some water and then you go boom. Well, there's other stones, that, other metals and things that do that. And rubidium and cesium are two of them. And in all of these books, they typically tell you to like 
make a gem elixir out of lapidolite and then like drink the water. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of really good reasons not to do that. One of them is maybe you shouldn't drink lithium juice. The other is some of the elements inside of the lapidolite go boom when exposed to water. What else is water? The sweat on your skin. So like if you're in a really humid environment or you're incredibly sweaty, like literally handling these things can cause burns. And if you don't know that, if you don't know that, if we don't say that in the, because these books aren't written by geologists, they're written by witchy people. And that's fine. It's cool that you have an interest in rocks, but the problem is like you're butting up against interdisciplinary sciences. You're butting up against chemists and biologists and geologists and actual medical advice. There's like a lot of pretty, it's, it's just this side of giving medical advice and so many of these books on herbs and, and crystals and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to need a little bit more context for some of the claims in here because that can lead to real harm done. Yes. If you're like, I'm going to do a crystal about it or I'm going to burn an herb about it and not realize that, oh, actually you shouldn't burn this particular herb because this herb is fine when it's in its herb form, but the minute you start burning this, it causes toxic smoke that you should not inhale. So make sure all of your windows are open, for example, if you uh, want to to burn this one. Maybe don't burn it for longer than 30 seconds or a minute or whatever the time period is, but you should learn a little bit more about these in an interdisciplinary scientific way. You need to be asking the why behind the what on some of these correspondences. Otherwise, owie, owie, boom, boom. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, And I think that this is really interesting. So I come at correspondences a lot from an animist perspective, Mm. right? So I want to get to know the spirit of things. Mm -hmm. I want to get to know the spirit of lapidolite. Mm -hmm. I want to get to know the spirit of lavender. Um, And therefore, like what I actually use in terms of my witchy, like herbalism and stuff is pretty small, but that's because you can only build so many relationships at once, right? Sure. So like you have to really like get to know them. Um, and I did for a while take uh, some herbalism classes um, with uh, Liz Johnson, who helps run Magus Books here in Minneapolis. And um, she actually has like a clinical herbalist like background. And so it has a lot of experience, um, particularly like she ended up getting a lot of herbal patients who had cancer. Mm. And she is very much the kind of herbalist who's going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to need to be in contact with your doctor if Mm. I'm going to treat you at all for this. Yay. (laughs) Right? Yay. Because like, yeah, like, and she's actually turned away people who refused, who had like very serious illnesses who refused to see doctors about it. Because she was like, I can only take you so far. Like, I can do a lot. I can make your life a lot better, but I can't cure your fucking cancer. Right. Like, right. Um, and I'm not going to take on that liability. Um, so I also, when I'm looking at lists of correspondences, I'm like, okay, what chemical composite in lavender is the calming thing? Mm-hmm. You know, what like thing in cedar is it like, how do these affect our bodies? And yes. therefore why are they used in these particular kinds of magic? Like cinnamon burns. Yes. Therefore, 
Um, I can totally see why you would use cinnamon for like exciting things. Mm -hmm. So like exciting abundance or like cinnamon is in that same family of like a lot of like other spicy things, peppers and stuff like that, because it gets our blood moving. And so that, that tends to lead to passionate things and it's used in certain areas because it helps improve blood flow and circulation and stuff like that. So it, it, it makes sense. Yes. So like looking at particularly herbal correspondences and thinking like, okay, like, first of all, what does this do to the body? And also how do I feel in conversation with this herbal mm-hmm. spirit, like the spirit of this plant? Yes. Um, so that's how I approach it. And, um, I, I don't get into that into like small DIY correspondences, <laughs> like booklet that I give my students when they start working with me. But like, that's kind of part of why I just, I'm like, no, you, you need five things. Yes. Right? You don't even need that many things. No. Like, and, and I'm so glad you're bringing this up. So my, I do get into actual, like how I tend to do witchcraft later in the book, but I just, I have to like breathe on it. I'll give you the, just, okay. um, but I have a chapter on nature magic where you're talking about plants and it's like, okay, well, instead of like, like, I remember like, oh, I'm going to do a spell to stop gossip. And I remember a time when you opened up the herb book, the, like the only thing next to gossip was slippery elm. And I was like, mm. it was really hard to find slippery elm. Um, and I could find it in like a powder form and like uh, from a witchy shop and I couldn't always get there. And it was like a whole thing. So I was like, you know, is, is this really the only plant in the whole world that's good for gossip? Like what's what's gossip? What's another way of thinking about gossip? I was like, well, lies that spread. And I I say in the book, you know, another maybe kind of spell that you could use to stop gossip would be taking a dandelion, you know, the little fluffy dandelion seeds, sticking that in a glass of water and freezing it. And then just freezing the, freezing the potential for gossip, et cetera. But, um, but, you know, my big push is like, look around you, like, Find plant. I mean, you. No matter where you live, you live in an area with plant life. There's some kind of plant life. I mean, okay, sure. If you're in a desert, like the Sahara Desert, <laughs> maybe. I mean, you can still find stuff there, though. You know, like you can still. There's probably, but there's at least a scarcity of plants. So I get that. Right. Yes. I get right. that. But like wherever you live, there's probably some kind of plant that grows in your area or an abundance of plants that grow in your area. And I bet at least one of them you can form a relationship with. There is no witchy thing that I need to drive hours or spend a lot of money to order and get into my, you know, have mailed to me some plant or some crystal or something that I probably don't have an alternative for somewhere that I could either walk to or drive to and then you know go out to a nature preserve or go out to a park or go out to my backyard or something there's probably something I could use probably you know the witches of yore (laughs) the the witches (laughs) that we sort of like to fetishize that's what they did they use what they had they didn't have Amazon they weren't going on to Azure Green they weren't they were not ordering the exotic plant from they sure as hell away. weren't mining crystals. They were not mining crystals. They were picking shit up from what they had around them. You know, why is the cauldron the magical? It's because it was the cooking pot everybody had. Oh my God, this is not rocket surgery. Like, this is not hard. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what people um, had. 
Another, okay, okay. So you were talking about stop gossip. So uh, a little nasty herbal correspondence ooh, for stopping gossip. Ooh, ooh, a shiver. Thinking about, thinking about plants that close the throat. Oh, So a ooh, poison ooh. that closes your throat and doesn't allow you to breathe. Using that in like a spell jar. Oh, that's with good. The person's name on it. That's good. Oh, that's so good. But see, also, it's good to know that it does that so that maybe you're not like, I'm going to drink this and then emanate this gossip avoiding aura all day or something. I mean, like, no. people do that because you read the book and you're like, how do you use herbs? Well, you can make them into a tea. You can make them into a tincture. You can wear that, you know. But we don't tend to say, like, we don't tend to then cross-reference that because then it just gets into, like, the compendium of all the herbs and what they're good for. Right. This herb, yeah. stop gossip, great. I'm going to do a tincture about that. Cool. We're going to do a tea about right. that. And I'm going to rub that on my skin. Maybe don't. Yeah, no. Maybe no. don't. I mean, so, like, a, a very good, oh, I'm not even going to say that on the air because uh, <laughs> I just had a really good idea that just made you think of liability. For... <laughs> No, I just thought a very good idea for like, if somebody wanted to shut me up, like what they could use, but I'm not going to. Oh God. Um, Ooh, if somebody here. wants to shut me up, what could they use? Um, let's see a bad, a, a picture of me from a bad angle. <laughs> Ooh. Like, Honestly, Ooh. same though. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get nasty. <laughs> let's just get real nasty about it. Like, we're just going to be mean. You could just mean girls just me into submission. Petty. Yeah, just like cyber bully me into silence. Uh, that'll work. Yeah. That'll work. I know All right, me. well, I feel like that's a very, I feel like we're ending on silence. So that feels like a very good place to, to end the podcast. Oh God, are we done? Oh gosh, yay. Um, if did. there's anything else we wanted to talk about, we totally can. Uh, we, I love the floor it. is yours. The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft out September 28th from Simon & Schuster. Everywhere books are sold. I'm going to be the narrator on the audiobook. I'm really thrilled about Hell that. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm really glad. I feel like there's this trend of like people who podcast then putting out books who then narrate their books. Like Pam Grossman did that with the, the yeah. um, Waking the Witch book. And yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, no, I just, I'm, I'm so glad that, um, I'm so glad to hear that you like the book. Uh, I think the, the thing that I want people to take away from it is that, um, it's, it's a book for people who want to be spiritual, but still feel a little skeptical and want to have that skepticism sort of validated a little bit and realize it's okay to be a skeptical practitioner. You can be a skeptical spiritual seeker. There is a place for you here. And, um, you know, we, we, it's time, it's time that we're going to start putting some of those things in black and white. And we're, we're not gonna, we're not going to pretend like those things aren't part of our community. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it'll be out there for people. I'm very glad it exists too. I feel like it, like I said, it fills that hole in the occult section in the bookstore. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northern lights witch. 
I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird. Thank you.